creative does not necessarily mean someone who owns original IP. The creatives that we're talking about, the people like you and I, what they do when they come on Bleep, most of them to actually upload content that they've seen elsewhere and is public available, and they think is worthy and delightful of public consumption. Hello and welcome to Represented by Secret Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and if this is your first time listening, then let me give you a quick lowdown. We're here to give more representation to black founders creating scalable businesses, as currently just 0.5% of all funding goes to black-funded businesses in Europe. Now, throughout this series, you'll hear one pitch per week and get the inside track on how investors grill entrepreneurs on their businesses, how they respond, and whether they want to proceed and consider investing. Now, it's not Dragon's Den because no one here is, you know, here to screw them with 25k for 90% of their business or any nonsense like that. And so as these decisions do take longer, we're going to track the progress being made behind the scenes by founders that come on the show. So, If you're an entrepreneur looking to apply or you're an investor looking to consider investing in underrepresented founders, please sign up at www.secretleaders.com forward slash represented. On to today's show then, where we have investors Andy Davis, Timothy Armu and Yvonne Bajela. Andy is the founder of 10 by 10, the UK's largest angel network investing in black founders. Yvonne is from Impact X Capital, which is a VC firm that specifically focuses on underrepresented founders and opportunities. And Tim is the founder of Gen Z-focused agency Fanbytes, who angel invests, you know, just for the fun of it. Now, they are evaluating the pitch from Bleep, which is, in essence, a mobile social TV watching experience app, sort of like Gogglebox. But they'll probably do a better job of explaining it than me. Or so you'd think. Now, the judges were certainly sceptical at first, but as you'll hear, the traction behind it, and especially the absolutely world-class founding team of Igor and Caro, speaks for itself. So, will the investors bite? Now, given Tim's experience with viral Gen Z products, you'd think he'd be the hottest on them. But on Represented, when you're pitching for big money, nothing can be taken for granted. So, to see how they fare in front of the investors, it's over to the team at Bleep. Take it away, guys. Thank you very much. Just to start with, uh, it's really interesting that Kara and I have come full circle. We started this journey with the vision of democratizing pop culture. And we've ended off with a very simple sentence, which is watch TV together. And this coordination problem that we're having now is effectively what we're trying to resolve for everybody who wants to watch content with anyone else around the world. I'm going to introduce the teams a little bit uh, before we go into the actual proposition. Caro, do you want to give a quick summary as to your background? So um, I'm Caro, CTO, XVP of Engineering at Goldman Sachs. Um, spent like the last nine years building real-time ledgers, payments and settlement systems. And I guess now you can say behind the scenes, I'm translating fintech infrastructure to, to Bleep so that we can reward fans for creating media assets for pop culture. And on my side, I have a completely media background. I was head of strategy, business development, and research for Viacom with a focus on Africa. Launched about eight TV channels there, reaching about a billion people across 48 countries, including MTV South Africa. And we are effectively MTV meets Goldman Sachs. And you will see from what we present that what we're really doing is creating a marketplace for pop culture, representation of these two ideas. 
where we're going now, uh, and I'll give you an idea as to how we got there, is, is this simple notion that, uh, well, uh, as you're painfully aware now, everybody is distant, at least physically. And um, the pain that we've been asked to resolve by our users is can we have a co-experience around television? Can we watch TV together with our friends, with our loved ones, with in fact, anybody in the world? And where we're going is to, uh, over the next three months, is to culminate in this experience that allows you to choose if you're gonna to watch together or join a specific room, but you will see from the screens displayed here that it's effectively about saying bleep phase one was about creating this co-experience of curating TV and creating TV together. Bleep phase two is about saying, okay, now that we have this feed, how can we enjoy this experience uh, with the people that we love uh, and create a market for pop culture and ultimately cultural equity? And that is fundamentally what we are, is a marketplace for cultural equity. Phase one has been about three months long, uh, and we've done pretty well. Uh, some facts, we've gotten up to 50,000 users. Of those, um, they're watching about a million views. What's really interesting is that 70% of the content that's on there is actually repurposed or third-party clips that our users have done for us. We're growing at 60% uh, week on week. Our user base is active weekly, 45%. And what are they doing on Bleep right now? Four things. Number one, they come on to Bleep, they switch on the TV as if it's a normal TV at home. But this time, they watch user-curated channels. So you can watch the MTV channel, for instance. But instead of looking at a feed that's been scheduled and centralized at MTV, you're watching a feed that's been created and posted and curated by people just like you. The job we're hired to do is well to reduce social distance. And the key lesson we've learned is that actually users are hiring us to co-curate content, to create this common well experience that TV did so well. Where we're we going to now in terms of phase two is to reinforce what we're doing with a sustainable model during COVID. In particular, uh, we're looking to support this with a distributed ledger. It essentially amounts to a micro subscription model for pay TV. Think of it this way. You're paying micro cents for metered consumption of television in partnership with us, our users, and TV networks that have joined us. Great. Thank you very much, mate. Um, right. There's a lot. I appreciate that you had to pack into what was more like four minutes than three minutes, but you know, there's uh, nothing, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So don't blame you for trying your luck and we let it go. Which one of our investors wants to put their hand up and have the first questions uh, ready for the team? What, how, what's bringing users to the products? That's the first question. The second part question is, what are users doing to bring their friends to the product? If they are at all? Yeah, great question. Because it really culminated in this idea of co-watching. What we noticed is that people started to come on to believe the first reason was because of social distancing. Um, what you'll see in this graph here is there's a, there's a purple bar, a vertical bar that indicates when the economy went into economic and social lockdown, and belief just skyrockets thereafter. Literally, our users were hiring us to kill the psychological pain of social distancing through entertainment and user-generated content. But there was a, a second and third reason. The second reason was when they saw the brands that we were associated with, the likes of an MTV, BET, for instance, they felt that Bleep was not simply a tool for content creation, but a gateway uh, into the creative industries. Uh, so they were looking to hire us to say, hey, how can I not just be a creative, but actually make a sustainable living from this? The third reason 
is how users found us, which is our brand ambassadors. We, we, we leveraged the marquee strategy where our brand ambassadors included influencers and VJs from MTV, and they effectively used WhatsApp groups to reach out to their community. What's interesting about the WhatsApp group is that people joined Bleep in mass. Uh, so you didn't have one person joining. Effectively, had 20 people joining each time and basically curating the experience together uh, at each time. The second thing that was really interesting about that is that people started to actually co-locate at Bleep at the same time. So you'll see in this graph, we've actually looked at users that were available at Bleep according to day part. You'll see that Bleep actually has a prime time, uh, very much like television. Uh, and what was happening here, whether it was coordinated or not, the distribution strategy of having ambassadors spread the message through WhatsApp groups not only made people go in in mass, but coordinate when they would go in together. And what was really interesting is that when they came back, they also hired Bleep at the same time. So it became quite clear to us that this co-watching experience, whether people were aware that they were on Bleep or not, uh, together or not, um, uh, was a key job that they were hiring us to do, right? Uh, it's also a familiar behavior that we all have. As we have time in the evening, for instance, around the dinner table, we switch on the telly, or perhaps after we finish some homework or work, everyone's going to go entertain themselves somehow with either television or social media. So this co-watching experience is us saying, well, look, 80% of our audience is available at the same time together on Bleep, curating and watching content together on Bleep, but they're separate. They're all in different rooms. So that second part, though, on they're in separate rooms, how do we bring them together? Like what makes them stay together when, they, when they're together what what is the like what what's the element or, or the variable that means oh, i'm st i'm staying here now we're all here together now and I, I now have to stay i can't leave people staying on bleep for two reasons number one is actually not bleep but what's happening off bleep the communication um, and the curation of Bleep. So people watch content on Bleep and actually go onto WhatsApp and communicate about what they've seen and get their friends to go and see exactly what they've seen. So they're talking off Bleep, just as you would, for example, talk about a TV program that you're watching with a friend uh, on WhatsApp while you're watching that show. That was a key reason. Um, I think another reason as to why people have stayed thus far is this promise um, we embedded in the product to this product ladder that effectively said to users, as you gain traction, you will gain increasing opportunity to monetize your own product. So people were hiring us effectively to say, I want a future in the creative space, and I want to be one of those people that continues to monetize my content. Harold, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think one of the um, key things is also this notion of being present together. And I think there's the realization that if somebody veers off the platform, they're no longer together. So I think one of the learnings from that as well is um, they're basically proxying live, live content or live streaming. And I think the takeaway from us there is how can we also incorporate live streaming so that you continue to stay on the platform, but actually you're watching each other watch content as well. So the example I always give to um, Eagle because he's in South Africa and I'm in London at the moment is Gogglebox. We actually see our users um, proxying that or hacking that process um, live in real time, um, and so this is the this is the experience, the insights that we're that we're observing from the user behavior. Hey, it's Tim. A couple of questions here. So the first one is you've mentioned a lot about people wanting to be wanting to be a part of the app because it gives them the opportunity to 
enter into the creative world, right? So how much of that is that much of a push to them once you've gotten past the small closed group who see this as their way of getting into the industry? Like, do you think there's enough people in the world who would, who would see Bleep as their way of doing that? And then the other thing is what happens in six months time when this behavior is not necessarily like the in thing, what then happens now? Does then the app serve like a completely different purpose from bringing people together? I'm going to mention uh, two things here. The first is that um, effectively what we're doing is, is, when we, when we define creative, we have to actually reimagine what creative means. Our, our users have told us that creative does not necessarily mean someone who owns original IP. I'm going to come back to this point. And to answer your second question with, uh, you know, what happens going forward is actually we've been socially distanced for a very, very long time. The last time we all sort of had a common knowledge as to what was going on was basically in the 90s. Um, we lived in an echo chamber-like world now. Um, and so our users have actually told us that we, we yearn toward a cooler effect. Okay, so let's jump into um, um, a little bit about how creatives have changed now versus before. One of the things that really uh, surprised us is we came into this market thinking really that we needed to create tools for creatives. What we discovered is actually that there is no content problem. This is the, probably the first time in history where users have a plethora of content. There is actually too much content. All of us here actually act as microservers of content in our phones. So we all have video, we all have links, and we're probably already sharing a lot of this content with our friends and family on WhatsApp. So in fact, the creatives that we're talking about are not your typical definition of creatives. They're people like you and I. What they do when they come on Bleep, most of them is actually upload content that they've seen elsewhere and is public available that they think is worthy and delightful of public consumption. 40 is a brand dedicated to having conversations about some of the world's most interesting topics. They film short documentaries, comment on socio-political topics, and they even have a card game that I've been playing at home that they sell on their website and Amazon store, and I gotta say, it's actually pretty brilliant. They encourage people to have open conversations and debate topics that most people wouldn't typically get the chance to discuss or debate. It's pretty important right now with everything going on in the world, but it's also a really good use of time and great fun, sometimes even a little awkward but you know there's nothing wrong with that to get involved and have more meaningful debate with your friends and family go to 40cards.com and start the conversation now my question was more around the, the actual content so one of the things that you highlighted was the fact that you have um, managed to acquire this um, tv ip and i'm interested in knowing you know how have users engaged with that and going forward how important is that do you have to actually go out and license continue to license um tvip and yeah how how important is it to the users and how they interact with it today so tvip is important we can strip it into not just um video assets but more importantly trademarks actually um and the reason why um important to know is um, like Igor said, um, users have no issue actually creating content. 
Um, what they do want, though, is the ability to leverage the credibility that comes from an MTV trademark or a TV show trademark and be able to say, look, this is my localized version of that and I'm making it relevant to my audience um, because I'm on the ground, I'm part of the youth culture um, versus being the one in the boardroom that's deciding for the, um, for the mass audience um, what the format or what the content should be. Right. So with the TV IP itself, what we saw in Bleep 1.0 is we made it available for um, our audience to use the MTV trademark. Um, there's also a partnership that we had with Nike to do a, kind of like a, like a pop-up channel. Um, so we had users create their own version of what um, Air Max Day means to them. Um, obviously, with COVID, um, that campaign itself kind of took a different shape. But I think the learnings from that was that users just wanted the ability to... Um, access assets in terms of like trademarks and music as well and then be able to repurpose that and create content of their own and reassign meaning to it to make it relevant to their audience. Now going forward um, what that means is um, of course users would love the ability to have clips from let's say the, um, the BET awards that just happened right and be able to react to that in real time. I think that's an ongoing partnership but I think what it's teaching us is that it's less so much about the, the content itself or the raw materials it's more about what the users can do together in creating content around those raw materials. So be able to react to content in real time, be able to find a commentary, whether that's sports or movies or doing like fashion or beauty reviews. For them, that's a lot more interesting than the actual um, raw material itself. Another point to add to this, uh, it's very similar to Pinterest. We found that it's not about owning the IP, but curating the IP. Uh, and so users were really telling us that they wanted to link IP from different sources. Uh, and they had no problem attributing sources to its rightful owners. And very much like PIN, what Bleep is essentially becoming um, is a space where you can pin video content that's publicly available, um, recognize the source, but have a common well uh, a water well, effectively, where everyone understands what pop culture is. And the key job, therefore, is not the creation of IP, but the curation of IP. So once you've passed the, you know, the niche audience of, of uh, people, what do you see as the growth strategy? Is it, is it basically a bunch of paid ads? Is it more on the influencer front? Do you see much more of a network effect holding up? So what is the growth strategy that takes you guys from, I guess it's like 50K, right? 50K current users now to, let's say, whatever, 250. And then the second one is, how much do you think people actually care about this ledger that you have in the app? Like, do you think it's enough of a pull to people for them to actually spend enough time on it? Because you look at platforms like TikTok and and in my line of work, like I do a lot on TikTok. And the reward for people is not so much money. It's, it's pretty much the fame that comes with a viral video and all that stuff there. So what actually is kind of like the key reason someone will continuously keep coming back on a practical level, not on a theoretical level? Yeah, sure. Um, so you're absolutely right. When we, when we, when we considered the commercial model, we started off very theoretical. And in fact, what we sought out to do was to recognize um, the equity that both the fan and the creator have in creating pop culture and trying to reward both. The question though is, how do we make this make sense and digestible for users? And then in doing that, how do we create a proposition that scales, which is uh, your first question. 
So really, everything's been camouflaged behind this proposition of watching content together. And if you think of almost, you figure yourself, there'll be a moment in your life where you hire something to have an experience with someone that you care about. So we hire the TV to have an experience with friends. We hire the TV to have an experience with a partner, with your parents, et cetera. And what we're effectively saying is that this hiring job of a core experience is not going to change. It's part of being human. And what we're looking to do is expand that. So right now, for instance, um, we are having this meeting because we fortunately have the kind of technology that enables us to be in the same room and watch this presentation together. But I can't literally watch a movie with my girlfriend at this time, simply because we're in a different place, uh, a different country. I can't watch the soccer match with my cousin. Um, I can't watch um, the news with my dad, who's in a different country. But that's how we connect as people. And so what Bleep does is to say, this entire ledger is really camouflaged behind this model of, uh, of co-watching, which is a very, very familiar behavior for everyone. And in fact, when we looked at the kind of people that uh, are likely going to take this up, we agreed very much at the ATV industry that there's always an early adopter, just as there's an early adopter for Netflix. Um, so we've packaged this as for one pound a year, you can watch content with friends in real time. And um, in doing that, you also get five accounts for free. And those five accounts is for you to invite your loved ones, right? That's how you get uh, your girlfriend on. That's why you get your boys on. That's how you get your parents on. Uh, and that takes us to scale. It's about getting that person that wants to co-watch this experience and wants to reward creators and wants to post content on Bleep and getting them to outsource that job to their WhatsApp group, just as it's happened so far over the past three months. In consuming content, they are delighted by the fact that the ledger rewards them for traction, rewards them for consuming content that has very little content, very little traction, and actually validating and creating what we call currency, which is essentially pop culture. So the ledger actually works in the background. It doesn't disturb the viewing experience at all. People are simply consuming soccer just as they would consume the Premier League, right? No one actually thinks that the TV network is selling a currency behind the Premier League. They're just enjoying the Premier League. This is exactly what is happening here. So scale happens by us appealing to a common problem that has always existed, but enabling that to happen for the first time anywhere any time with anybody. In fact, whether they're your friend or a complete stranger. So you can join a room. Imagine us saying, hey, what's Kanye West watching tonight? Let's join Kanye West TV room. That's something that's pretty awesome. That's an experience that we'd all love to have. And it's also great for the narcissistic Kanye West, who's now sharing his TV room and sharing the content that he's watching with everyone. In doing that, everyone is actually curating feed in their separate TV rooms. So the job here is really to not make people think. Don't think about the curation job. Don't think about the delight of getting paid. All these things happen in the background. What's the average content length and what's the average session time? It's between one to three minutes at the moment. That's because we haven't opened up lead to longer content. Sure. So one to three minutes. And what's the average session time per user? About 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Okay, sure. So then they're consuming... You say one to three, they can see me anything from then seven to 20 pieces of content. Yeah, correct.
Iconic Steps aims to develop a growth mindset in young people so they can overcome barriers and take their first steps towards an iconic career. They're a social enterprise that support young people aged 16 to 25 from hard-to-reach backgrounds to acquire much-needed skills, experience and confidence and increase their opportunities in entering the media industry. Now, their crew of skilled young people work on commission projects and produce compelling video and photo content, so if that struck a chord with you, go to iconicsteps.co.uk to find out more. One of the things I value in pretty much any investment I've done, any business I look at, is just simplicity and just practicality. And I found that in the pitch, I still did not quite understand the product. I still did not quite understand the reason why people would really use it. It felt very esoteric, like very much like we are fundamentally changing human behavior. And I, and, and, and I was like, well, no. So that for me was definitely one. I also don't think there was enough thought behind the growth. This is fundamentally a growth play. And I also did not particularly care or understand the need for that one pound per year thing and how that actually scales anything. It just seemed more as an attempt at monetization. So that's my inkling on this. Uh, probably not one for me at all okay fair enough andy what are you saying i feel like that there's maybe something there somewhere but i've and i feel like maybe it's in the power everyone kind of alluded to it, the power and power of the ip and how it's going to be exclusive here but actually ultimately why does that even matters to the user why do i care if be it mtv or comedy central's content is here if it's i get to play with this content and thus create new content then this becomes a place to be for this type of content. Okay, I feel like there, I feel like there's a few things. There's a few things there regarding live, semi-live watching or viewing, versus content creation versus content consumption. And I feel like they didn't land articulate well enough which of the three or which avenue at all um, is most important and the most sticky for users and why they're. Here. I think they. I think that the why they're here piece is just ultimately missing. Like that, why they're hippies. And they, they answer that again um, from a philosophical perspective and a, um, and a social perspective, but not in a, as Tim used the word practical, not in a practical sense of what's actually happening, what you're actually consuming um, and, and why. But, in, but, but somewhat interesting, I think um, before this, I was on a call with a bunch of my Tomica angels and we're discussing actually looking at the next social platforms that Gen Z are using in this time, what's been born. And why they're there, and we and everyone's keen to explore it. Maybe me a bit less so, but it's keen for the, they're keen. So I'll be passing this on to them anyway. Mm, okay, and Yvonne, what do you think? Yeah, so for me, I think I think there's something that um, from an industry perspective, I think that they're tackling Gen Z. I get the whole fact that you know TV is declining and so on. What's not clear for me is their go-to-market strategy, um, similar to, to what Tim said um, in terms of, you know, how do they actually achieve growth? That wasn't articulated very well. It's obviously quite a competitive space as well. So um, I think just more clarity is, is needed around that. And happy to make introductions to other investors that do look at consumer apps, but for me, it's a no for now. We're going to get some very quick... 30 second summary from the judges the answers really we're looking for yes no or possibly uh, i'm interested in hearing more following up and either 
have introductions to make to you or personally interested myself. So starting with Yvonne then, ladies first. So thank you very much for that great pitch. I think, um, you know, very interesting space, as you correctly highlighted um, around, you know, the future of TV. However, I do think that I would need a bit more clarity in terms of, you know, an articulation of your go-to-market strategy. And, you know, back to Tim's question around, you know, how will you actually achieve growth? It's a competitive space and, you know, I just need a bit more clarity on that because it's, it's still not very clear. And at this stage, I would say no for now, but um, definitely there are a few consumer investors I could look to introduce you to. Great. And over to you, please, Tim. To me, the value of this is primarily in any kind of IP being built. But I think the bigger question is about the growth strategy behind this. And that actually is predicated on trying to understand from a practical level, why would someone use this app? Like not from a philosophical level, but just from a, if you look at every social app, there is some practical thing they get from it, which is the reason why they keep coming back to it. And I think that perhaps needs some more investigation, needs some more thought into it. Yeah. So for me, it's a no. But I think the key things here are just understanding the growth strategy to predictably get to that 100,000, 150,000, a million users, et cetera. And Andy? Agreed 100% on, with Tim on the, on the point around why they're here. I thought that there's probably several different um, paths to like a user landing here and staying. I think that it's just about zoning in on on the on the deep reason and that's just that comes down to actually what's the content what what's great about the content what what happens when they share the content is that content consumed again and just maybe you probably have the answers but maybe just articulating that so that said i was saying to the guys prior to this um i guess uh, my group of angels are super interested in looking at like the next social products and what gen z are using and what's been birthed in the last few months so this is something that i'm definitely um going to be sharing and inviting you to a further pitch um with the atomic angels Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, guys. So um, how did you find it? What did you learn from the feedback? And um, if you can also share your social handles where people can find you, that would be great. Sure. Um, I guess in terms of the experience, it's definitely the shortest pitch you've had to do. Um, But I think what has been great is that it felt like a conversation. Um, I think there are definitely things we can um, tease out um, in just knowing the audience a bit more. So I think the growth strategy was was highlighted and just trying to articulate that in, um, a bit more um, concretely. But I think what was also a good takeaway was um, given perhaps tangible examples that perhaps audience were a bit more familiar with. So I noticed that when I said Gobblebox, for, inza- for example, you nodded your head. Um, and that's very much what the co-watching experience is. Um, that definitely, um, from a business or commercial point of view, there's definitely learnings we can take away and articulate in that because it is there. Great, thank you. And um, what about yourself, Igor? Uh, so for me, uh, at this at this stage stage, I think it really is about the team. I don't think at pre-stage stage you could really have any data that would say, oh, this is definitely the growth strategy. Um, I think it's about saying this is the right team. We have the right mind for what we're doing um, and we'll figure it out. So it's about saying, do I have faith in the team? Is this a good team? And do they have a shot at doing something different? The challenge with uh, these kinds of things is that people always have a reference in mind. So to come with a reference that is contrarian 
is by definition difficult to um, explain. I think that's extremely fair. And I think, yeah, lots, lots of good lessons there, including like the cultural references, understanding what people will or won't understand or, or associate with. But I think you're spot on as well. I think it's very, you know, very important to focus on the team. You guys are obviously quite an astounding uh, team, the kind that you expect out of Entrepreneur First. So definitely looking forward to tracking your progress and seeing how you go. Part of the process on the podcast as well, just because if you make it on the show doesn't mean that, you know, the journey ends there with a yes or no with these investors. We're also collecting an investor list and sharing around, you know, decks and opportunities for people to invest if they like what they hear. So where can they follow you on social media and where can they follow your journey if they are interested to learn more about you and potentially even invest? So our website is bleeptv.co. Uh, my handle is Endurance but also on LinkedIn as well, underneath Bleep TV. But of course, I'm happy to share um, references or links for you offline as well. Great. And Igor? Uh, yeah, similar. So um, you can find me at Bleep uh, TV on Twitter um, um, and also on social media. You can find me typically on LinkedIn. I'm fortunately or unfortunately not one of those that uses Facebook very much. We need to take over Facebook and beat Facebook. So that's the competition. <laughs> Perfect. All right, guys, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode. If you're an investor interested to learn more about the great applications we're getting from black founded companies and want access to their funding decks and even introductions, or you're an entrepreneur looking to apply to be on the show to be considered by our investment committee, either way, please go to secretleaders.com forward slash represented and follow the links there. Big thanks to our producer, Rich Martell, editor Harry Morton of Lower Street Media and illustrator Christina Katz for helping put this show together. We'll see you on the next episode and remember to help us spread the word and make sure we get more black founders represented. See you next week.